0: welcome back to bible love this is thursday in the third week of lent during lent we've been doing the collect for the days that we post and this one as we get into uh, today's scripture passage uh, i think this collect will seem especially appropriate for the characters we discussed today so let us pray keep watch over your church O lord with your unfailing love And since it is grounded in human weakness and cannot maintain itself without your aid, protect it from all danger and keep it in the way of salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen. So listeners, I I keep feeling like I'm saying this over and over, but I think this just means that God has blessed me with so many amazing friends. So I'm so excited to introduce you all to the Reverend Jared Howes, who is the rector of St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Amarillo, Texas. And Jared um, is a very dear friend of mine. Um, He took great care of me when we were both at the Seminary of the Southwest and he has an awesome family that he was just catching me up on, and they're like all grown up now. And I remember when they were babies. And I, um, when I need somebody, Jared's one of the ones I call. So I'm just really, really, really glad, um, Jared is here with us. So welcome to talk to us about Second Samuel 10 through 20, Jared. So good to,
2: to be doing this with y'all. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Absolutely. So this is, um, should we say the juicy stuff of (laughs) second Samuel? Um, this is when Daniel, um, starts to get into that story that we all know, David and Bathsheba and, um, some of David's humanness really starts to arise. Like, not that it hasn't beforehand, but this is this is the GC stuff. So um, I'm glad we have Jared to help us get through it a little bit. Um, so, Jared, when we gave you these passages to think about, tell us a few things that kind of come to mind when you think about these 10 chapters.
2: Well, when I first found out that this is what we were going to be Talking about, I, 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 went there pretty immediately and started flipping through and I was like, wow, how very linty. <laughs> you know, uh, adultery, rape, murder, um, you know, political manipulation. It's all there. Uh, all that human frailty and weakness that, um, Alan mentioned in his prayer. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much meat here. Um, and, of course, human failing. Um, but also, I think there's some rich stuff for us to, to reflect on, the um, spiritually formative stuff here, too. So. Yeah,
1: so what jump, What kind of jumps out to you when you think about maybe um, 10 and 11? Um, I mean, Bathsheba comes into the picture in 11. So this temptation right. is there.
2: Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing that... Really jumps out to me is that this story is here at all mm-hmm. um, you know it, it, in in some streams I think of Old Testament scholarship and I think in some streams of kind of um, Israel's historic understanding and especially you know it, even in the New Testament, you know the Davidic dynasty is kind of held up right uh, it's put on a pedestal, and so that this story is included. Uh, this this story of, of, you know, David's failing, um, you know, if you're putting together kind of a nationalistic narrative, uh, why would you include a story about adultery and murder, you know, coming from the central figure that you're trying to kind of uphold? Um, you know, we have George Washington, you know, cut down the cherry tree and he didn't lie to his parents. Um, that's that's what we're given. We're given kind of this flawless picture. Uh, that's our national narrative. Right. One of them, you know, Abraham Lincoln never told a lie, that kind of thing. Um, and then here you have this central figure in Israel's history and he's blowing it, you know. And so that's that's the thing that really jumps out first to me is that um, someone um, was doing something here with this text and telling the story that I think is different and sets it apart from other narratives in some ways.
1: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful observation because we do want to just like go to the goodness, right? We want to go to all the the George Washingtons and Abraham Lincolns, but that's not really how life is, is it?
0: And it bottles things up, right? Like we're kind of experiencing that in 2020, 2021, 2022, the fact that we haven't been honest about the stories of George Washington. The fact that we haven't been honest about the stories of our founding fathers is kind of been bottled up and it's starting to explode. It is. You're right. Yeah. Because we haven't told the truth. And so here, like, they're not trying to bottle things up or, or hide anything because, yeah. like, the truth comes out and everyone figures out that David's a monster at some points in his life. Yeah. But he's yeah. also the person in scripture who is a man after God's own heart. And both of those things can be true at the same time because we're human. And how do we wrestle with that?
2: Yeah. If you were going to ban a story, like you would ban a book, it would be this one, right?
0: (laughs) Uh, But it's there. I mean, yeah. And then it goes immediately from that to Tamar. And like, these are things that, I mean, David's kids are messed up. (laughs) These are things that would not be allowed in libraries. Right. Bye. But this is in the Hebrew scriptures and David is held up as one of the patriarchs of our fame.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: It's certainly not Instagram worthy. Is it right? Like, so I feel like that's where we are right now. I mean, I joke about that, but I think that's where we are is that we only like want to let out the parts of ourselves that are good. And, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And, and I, I'm actually really grateful. I'm talking to both Jared and Alan about this because things sometimes are not good in my life. And I have friends like them that I have just poured out and been really honest with. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that the story is there and I think it's actually really kind of God to include it um, because it, it, I think it means that God recognizes that life is not perfect and that we need to rely on God. So what happens here? Um I mean we know the story, right? But he he meets this woman and um his life changes with that, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I have the Jeff Buckley Hallelujah, the version of Hallelujah, because I'm a nineties kid, so that's the version I have running through my head, you know. Um, you know, saw her bathing on the roof you know, tied, tied him to the kitchen chair. I mean, he kind of mixes stories there cutting off hair and hair. But yeah, I mean, David's life gets fundamentally turned upside down. Um, You know, I mean, and and something um, that, that I find interesting is, is to think about like, what, what is happening here within David's mind in his life, what's going on. And I kind of, I don't know if this makes sense. I hope it does, but you know, at the beginning of, of Samuel, you have this idea that, you know, um, the people are wanting a king like other nations. Right. That's their desire. And they're telling that to Samuel. And, and Samuel's critique at the very beginning is like, look, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Um, things are going to get ruined. Your daughter's are going to be turned into concubines. He's going to take advantage of you. Uh, kings will leave the way of, of the followings of Yahweh. Um, and you don't really see it in David, but you see it eventually in Solomon, right? And, and, fallen. and so, um, like I think it'd be kind of neat to look at monarchy, at kingship as a character in of itself in Samuel, almost like a Shakespearean ghost, right? Because Saul has a relationship to monarchy and David has a relationship to monarchy. And with monarchy comes power and privilege and position and, and even a level of permissiveness, right? Cause you can get away with stuff when you're king that you can't get away with when you're a common person. And so I, I feel like, you know, underneath the story of adultery and underneath the story of political manipulation and murder is also a story about a man's relationship to power and, 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 leadership. And, and that's something else that I think is, is something I'm always trying to think, you know, when we're having these conversations, there's the scholarship, but there's also how to, how am I gonna as a priest, how am I going to teach and preach this to the people that you know are in my charge, I guess you could say. And and so that would be another way I'd want to kind of explore this story is what's going on with David's relationship to power.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, maybe he doesn't care really about the power, but at some point, because he, he get this temptation happens, right? And he's like, Here's this woman, I gotta have her. I'm like, you know, who cares? I got to have her. And that's certainly what happens. Right. I mean, he goes for it.
0: And he cares about his power enough because he can put himself in a position to have her right. because of his power. Yeah. Right. And so like, he doesn't think, and I don't think we ever think when we're in a situation, um, temptation is powerful and we don't always see all the consequences of our actions. Um, and so they are like, he's probably not thinking, Oh, I'm going to potentially lose all of this because I want something so bad.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: He's in the moment.
2: He right? Is the, there's, there's a, um, a black pastor and preacher, Dr. Tony Evans. He's in Dallas and he's in a different tradition than, than we are. Um, and I wouldn't say I agree with everything the man says, but there's, there's still wisdom there to, to be gleaned. Sure. He has a sermon on, on this and his, his take is, um uh, this is one of the first times David's not on the battlefield with his men. And and he's up on the roof. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Tony Evans has this whole thing is um, sometimes a man doesn't need to be on the roof. He needs to be on the battlefield.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, again, you can take that too far. But I do think there's something to that, um, that this is kind of the first time we see David abusing power and position. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting.
1: And there's some repercussions to that too. Right. Um, I mean, as we'll see, as we go further in, um, you know, his his son dies, Nathan comes back and is like, dude, what, what are you doing? You know, like, Oh my gosh. Um, and, and some children are born out of wedlock. Some, you know, murders happen. Some, I mean, this is, this is tough stuff. I mean, we've talked about this before with other guests, but I mean, you know, you need a good movie.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's
1: one for you. You know, it's, uh,
2: it's house of cards, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a Testament style, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that continues to happen. I mean, losing his son, um, you know, unfortunately none of us have, have experienced that, but that's a real thing, you know? And he, and he must've thought, I wonder why that happened, you know, um, is it because of my, the things I've done wrong? Is what, why is that happening? Um, I don't, we know that God doesn't work in that way, but for some people that's, that's really real, you know, um, and there's a lot of revenge that happens because of us, right? Some, some horrific deaths and rapes and, you know,
2: yeah. Can I ask a question? Sure. I'm just because one of the things that I mean, this is just one example within our our scriptures, especially our Old Testament scriptures. But um, Mary Balfour, what is it like for you to read this as as a woman? Yeah. I mean, Bathsheba uh, taken advantage of. You know, Um, I, I think there's a certain strand. I think maybe in kind of ultimate fundamentalist evangelical strand that kind of wants to make this a romance almost because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's redeeming but I, I can't help but see this is a woman who's been taken advantage of a position of power from David um, her husband is murdered she loses her her child um, was six seven days after the birth and then you have Tamar um, I, I mean wh- what's it like for you to read these
1: well thank you for that I mean I First of all, I'm grateful we're telling the true story and not the romantic version that we might try to tell, you know, to little kids or whatever, which I understand because they're, they're small children and <laughs> their minds can't maybe can't take all this. Um, you know, I think for me, this isn't the first story of rape that is in the Bible. This isn't the first time that we've said, you know, when men have power um, and, you know, I, I luck. I luckily have um, gone into my experience as a minister where there have been a lot of women that have walked that path before me and I didn't have to kind of take up my cross in the same way that others do. I think that it could be traumatic for people, but I also, for women, but I also think that it could be comforting in some ways that you are not alone have you experienced these things, that there are real human people that God loves so much that, um, that have gone through some of these things and that you're not alone. And so I, Jared, you know this about me, but I'm, I am a half gospel person. Now I think there could be other women that look at this and are totally traumatized and are like, how could God create this? How could this have happened? You know, that I, I don't look at that at it that way. I look at it as, um, we are real humans and things happen in life, but it's through God's grace and love that protects us through it. And we do get through it. Um, but and I guess the biggest thing is, it's unfortunately, it's not the first time we've experienced this in the Bible. And it's certainly not the last. Um, you know, women are um, having... I saw this wonderful picture um, on Instagram yesterday of um, all the women bishops in the Episcopal Church right now. And I mean, my heart just was so proud. And um, I just... I was telling Jared and Ellen, I just um, finished a crucio weekend and um, there are three spiritual directors and two of them were women. One of which was ordained three months ago. Um, and I just thought how brave of her. I don't know what three months if I could have gotten up there and done that. And um, I kept trying to like share the altar with her. And I kept trying to like include her in every way. And I was just so proud of her, you know, and Then I think at the closing, people are looking out and they're seeing these two younger women like in the same place. We don't have to be where we were when this was written all those times ago. So I think for me, I just always want young women to look at me and be like, hey, it's okay. You know, you can do that too. You can be a priest too, and you or you could be a minister too, in whatever way that looks like. And um, so thanks for asking that question, but it's not the first time and it won't be the last. But we just got to remember God's grace is full in there. Thanks. So, for that's it. what I got to say about that.
2: Well, thank, you, that's, thank you.
1: Well, should we keep going? We got a couple more chapters. So I'm. Um, we were kind of talking. We were really into 11. And then Nathan comes in and has this sort of message. And then David repents which I think is super important because here we are in Lent and, and we have that time to get to do that. You know, and David shows in all his faultness shows an example of repentance, right? Which is not the first time he's done this. He lamented last week. We were talking a lot about David's lament. What do y'all think about that?
2: I'm thankful for, for Psalm 51, you the know. Uh, and, and I'm thankful for, you know, that our tradition ascribes Psalms to certain moments in David's life. And I'm really thankful for that because <laughs> I think if we didn't have it, it'd be much, uh, a, a rawer experience. Um, R A W E R, maybe my, my Texas accent was coming through there. <laughs> um, you know, it'd be more visceral. I mean, it's visceral enough, but that we have this story and then we have Nathan essentially speaking truth to power in a very creative way, you know, telling this almost parable kind of story. And then we have Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart. And and like you mentioned, it's it's the one we say corporately every Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm.
1: He does have this part where at the very end of 12, Nathan replied, the Lord forgive me, you, you will not die. But because you have so, shown such contempt for the Lord in doing this, your child will die. And that's exactly what happens. Um, his child with Uriah dies, and then Solomon is born from this relationship with Bathsheba. So you've got these two sort of tensions, this death of a child, and then this other child that comes out of I guess they're they're married um, because at that point in time, you could take a couple wives. Right. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that's that's a lot of tension to hold up. And and Nathan was very truthful. And this will happen.
2: And it's brilliant storytelling because at this point, we already know David has other sons. Right. I mean, you have the eldest and then I think the second born dies. And then you have Absalom, the third son. And, and then you have this little like snippet in the story. Oh, here's Solomon. And the Lord looked upon Solomon with favor. Right. So it's the storyteller saying this is going to be the next king. But the reader's going, wait a minute. What about his other two sons? Right. And so it sets it up <laughs> with this brilliant tension, um, you know, uh, yeah. which I think brings us into the text more and more.
1: Yeah, and it and says that, three times the Lord loved him. Like clearly, the Lord was for this kid. I'm sorry, Alan.
0: No, and that just, you know, that Solomon is the product of this illicit affair, whatever it was. And he goes on to be the king and he restores Jerusalem and all, he's part of the lineage of Jesus. And to me, that's just a reminder again, there is no situation beyond redemption. Right, David is a, a walking reminder of this, but that this child that was born in a tro- troubling circumstance is a central figure, again, in the life of the Hebrew people and then um, in the life of Christ. Like, there's no situation. We can't screw up anything beyond God's ability to redeem it.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well said, Alan. Thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, and
1: there's some further redemption that happens. Um, I'm, we have this whole like, um, Absalom, Absalom has revenge, you know, all of that. Um, but then David, I'm, I'm getting to, let's see, I'm in 14, verse 25. Um, David and Absalom are, are, um, reconciled, but then it happens again, right? Like, that's what's so interesting to me is that, we, we we're called to recon, reconciliation. We're called to move past this, but that's not what life. How life goes sometimes, right? There's going to be something else. Like think about your church members. You might have two that are like not getting along. You work with them to get together, and then something else happens. And there, you know, this is it's it's just more of that truth narrative. I think
2: that's really important. Yeah. They, David and Absalom have this moment after, you know, Absalom returns hiding out with his mother's people for, for years. Um, and it's almost in, in uh, you know, again, we can read it different ways. It, for me, the subtext is it's almost like a political forgiveness,
1: mm-hmm. right. <laughs> right?
2: It's kind of the showing of good faith. Like it, it doesn't look good anymore, David, for this to be going on. So yeah. there's this kind of um, forgiveness, but you know, it, it also like a revealed, PR
1: moment, Jerry. Yeah,
2: right. You, know, like, and you hate to be so cynical, but you—you you re- at least I get that feeling in the text, and because not only did David do this thing with Bathsheba and and commit murder, and but you know, um, he's not really playing out great as a father. <laughs> you know, it's—I mean, one of your sons rapes your daughter, and you—you you just you take a step back, you don't do it. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's another picture being painted here. Another one of David's flaws and failings, you know? I mean, one of the reasons that we moved this direction at the beginning is Samuel is, you know, he's a little kid and Eli's sons are, are, you know, in a lot of ways, David's sons are inhabiting the same behaviors that Eli's sons were, you know? And that's why we got rid of the judges Mm -hmm. is because it wasn't looking, well, we're looking at the same kinds of character qualities in David's sons. Um, Yeah. And, and well,
1: both of you are fathers, and I know that both of you like take that role really, really seriously. It's one of the most important things in your life. And I mean, you know, I think what what do we have to learn here from that? Like, how do we parent our children in a way that I mean, hopefully, none of your children are going to go and do these kind of things. I pray that is not the case. But on a smaller level, you know, they do things, right? They they make mistakes. They you know, um, Jared was telling me one of his is a teenager now and he's like dipping his toe in the water and Alan's got two teenagers, you know. And how do we bring this back to 2022, I guess, like as a parent and how do we, what are y'all's thoughts on that?
0: To I'm me, one. like the routine of forgiveness. I mean, this is, and I think about that, you know. Young teen boys are going to do stupid stuff, and that's to be expected. I, as an adult, should know better than when I lose my cool. And so Mm -hmm. it's incumbent upon me to seek out forgiveness from my boys, right, when I say things I shouldn't say or whatever, you know. And that models for them, and that's what this does. It may be a photo op, but it's still modeling, you know. David and Absalom seeking forgiveness and restoration from each other. And that's what I hope I do. Number one, like I want to ask my kids for forgiveness, but I also want to model to, to young men who are learning what it's like to be grown up men that we do screw up and we do ask forgiveness of other people. And I'm probably going to have to do it later this week again, because I'm human. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I agree with what, Alan said, I mean, I Eric and I, Eric my wife, we, we talk all the time, especially with our eldest, right? They're kind of the guinea pig kid, <laughs> but You you don't know what you're doing. This is the first go around and each kid is different after that too. And, um, you know, there are multiple times a month where I tell my eldest son, Simon, uh, look, your dad's learning how to do this dad thing. Like you're learning how to do this teenager thing, man. And I'm sorry if i blew it here or i'm sorry that i blew it depending on what's going on but um i think you know it, i want to come back to to power because there's a kind of power in parenting mm-hmm. and i'm saying this uh, this isn't mine this is from the wisdom of a, a great counselor in my life and i'm thankful i have him um cuz you know uh, the teenage child comes up from time to time in therapy sessions sure <laughs> and you know, he basically says, man, you got to let go of this idea that you have power that you can exercise over him because don't get into power plays and power struggles. Um, you know, he's a teenager. Um, you have influence to use Alan's language. You can model, um, but let go of this idea that you can like somehow broke brokerage power with this kid because that that's a faulty way to do, do life, a faulty way to do parenting. And, in a very literal and, you know, metaphorical sense, you see that power play going on with Absalom and David, you know, Um, and this Absalom story breaks my heart as a dad. I mean, um, and and I'm not being um, overly dramatic, but um, this past spring break is I wake up in the mornings and and kind of dig into this text, knowing that we were going to have this conversation. When I got to that point where David is weeping. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. My son. I mean, um, tears, you know, tears formed uh, because it made me think of uh, a time in chaplaincy um, where I was called in, I was on call and I was called in, in the emergency room and um, a, a boy had, had died of a drug overdose. And his parents were on either side of him, and his dad was saying, My son, my son, my son, my son. Mm. You know, and this is just one of the most heartbreaking scenes, um, not just within this, the scriptural text, but I think in literature. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mind you, I mean, it's the Icarus story. You know, Icarus' dad watches him fall from the sky, you know, because something happened that. Icarus didn't learn not to fly too close to the sun. Uh, and, and it makes me think of what is it in the Iliad where King Priam is washing the son, his son Hector's body with Achilles who, who killed him. You know, um, it's all through these mythic narratives. Um, you know, there's something about this father losing a son, this father at the grave of his son weeping. And, and it's just um, it's here. In this uh, passage. There's a poet I like. His name is Michael Longley. He's what's called the Trouble Poets. He's one of the poets that emerged out of uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles between the Protestants and Catholics in the 20th century. And he has this poem called Ceasefire. And he takes that image of, of um, Priam washing Hector's body uh, with Achilles, and he relates it to um, a father who's holding his son that died in the Troubles. You know I mean? This is this is every black kid that falls in the street unjustly at the hands. It's every poor white kid that dies of a meth overdose. You know what I mean? Like this is over and over and over again. It's Absalom over and over I, And I think that's one thing is like our, <laughs> whether we like it or not, you know, different levels, our children fight the battles that their their, their parents <laughs> have started in some way, shape, or form, in, in sometimes large and violent ways, and other times more small and subtle ways. But um, we influence, we impact uh, the generation that's following us.
1: Jared, thank you so much for that. Because, uh, I mean, just could have sat here and listened to you talk about it for two hours. But I also love, like, You're relating, I mean, this is every black kid. This is every white kid. This is a parent's nightmare, you know, um, and the heartbreak. Like you said, that's still happening. Alan, you were going to say something.
0: Yeah, to me, it's right. Absalom's a tragic figure because as I read this, I want justice. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a part of me that says Absalom deserves it. Right. Because of what he's done to his sister, to his dad, like there's this hole. But at the end of the day, none of that matters because David is weeping over his dead son. And, you know, to go to young men, right, we're quick in society to say, oh, they died because of. No, they're dead. And we have to weep over the fact that they're dead. What they did doesn't matter. A child of God is dead.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and what I, it's sad to me because, you know, you have Psalm 51 after Bathsheba. And I think our tradition describes Psalm 3 to when David is leaving Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, right? You know, um, but I want a Psalm after Absalom, but there's not one. Yeah. (laughs) It just
0: leaves you with the pain there. Yeah. And you. we're all pastors and we walk alongside people on the worst days of their lives. And we've probably all had those experiences of walking alongside parents who have had to bury kids. Right. And there's no words. What do you say?
1: Yeah, I just, I just did it. Unfortunately, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago and I, I'm like you, hey, Jared, I want a Psalm. <laughs> I want, I want I want that, but all we can do, right, is trust in God, that God will be there in the pain and, the, and that the people will show up, you know, to love them and care for them. You know, will be the hands and feet of God. Um Y'all, we didn't even get through, like, I know, Jared, I th- what I keep thinking right now is like, should we pause it and like keep recording for next week? <laughs> I don't want to lose our listeners because um, they're not used to us. Um, going on and on. But let me ask you this. Is there anything here that is on your heart about these chapters that you think I just got to get out? I got to tell.
2: Well, the, the last thing, and I know we, we, you know, we hopped around and I'm sorry I was a hopper rounder, but um, the Mount of Olives, I, I, I think when, I, I think that's, you know, an important, you know, uh, not only uh, geographical location, but literary thing that happens all throughout scripture. And here we have David um, fleeing Jerusalem and he looks back and he's weeping at what he's leaving. And just to juxtapose that with Jesus on the same Mount of Olives, weeping over Jerusalem, but he's going into Jerusalem, <laughs> you know, and and I think in some ways, um, you, you know, I think it, it's an interesting thing to, to juxtapose uh jesus alongside david i mean israel wanted david they wanted the the resurgence of a davidic dynasty that's what they were hoping for In a lot of ways jesus you know maybe unintentionally or intentionally i don't i don't know i'm not i'm not you know uh, well versed enough to be able to make this comment but his ministry is almost a critique of the of what people were desiring in the davidic you know he, he goes into jerusalem the temple was really important to David. Jesus does a lot of his ministry outside of the temple, if not critiques the temple at a point, you know. Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to, to say that that Mount of Olives scene is, I think, an important scene for us. to.
1: Oh, I, I love your imagery around that. I think that's spot on. And you are versed enough to say that for sure. Remember, listeners, that we love you, but most importantly, God does.